Welcome to Sales, Customer Service, and Communication. Clients know how they're treated. If they're treated well, they'll use your services. If they're treated poorly, they can easily take their business elsewhere. Your clients are purchasing much more than your product or service. They are doing business with a company that appreciates them and treats them well. Clients will often seek out a particular company and pay more money for their product or service based upon how well they're treated. Clients who are not satisfied with your service can go somewhere else. The goal for you in taking this course is learn how to better serve your clients by providing great customer service and using effective communication. Your clients, new and existing, will benefit from you taking this course. They'll come away from their business transaction with you, your inspections, feeling that you've treated them fairly and professionally, and that you've sincerely appreciated their business. There are a few things required to provide great customer service, including effective communication and building relationships. When you provide excellent customer service, your clients will become a marketing tool for your business, an unpaid sales force. Customers talk, and satisfied clients who have had a great experience with your company will tell four to six people on average. You can't pay for that type of word of mouth testimonial marketing. Conversely, it has been said that while a satisfied customer may tell four to six people, about his positive experience, a dissatisfied customer will tell as many as he can. It's human nature to want to share aggravation, displeasure at being treated poorly by anyone, especially someone who's taken your hard-earned money for a product or service that many other people offer. Right now, your clients are talking. What are they saying about you? They're telling others how your company treated them whether you provided a good service or bad customer service. Word of mouth marketing is happening all around you, all the time, about you and every other business. The testimonials of your clients should be treated like gold. Satisfied clients tend to talk with many others about businesses and service providers who treat their clients exceptionally well. When others hear great things about your company, they'll be inclined to do business with you. People look to others for guidance and will often make purchase decisions based upon what others say. This is often referred to as social proof. Clients feel reassured and often make decisions based upon what other people say about your company. Increase your company's social proof by showing on your website the types of inspections most valued by your clients. Um, clients who scheduled this inspection also ordered and um, testimonials from satisfied clients. The best way to get data required to display your company's social proof is to get new clients who love your services, maintain positive relationships with existing clients, and provide great customer service to both. Providing great customer service costs less than providing poor. It costs more money in gaining brand new clients than it does to maintain a professional relationship with existing ones. 
According to the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, it costs five to six times as much to get a new first-time client as it does to keep a current one. Satisfied clients tend to be loyal with businesses that provide great customer service. Businesses that provide extraordinary customer service can charge more, realize greater profits, increase market share, and will have clients who are willing to pay more for their services. Customer service involves doing things right. When a service provider performs poorly, which might include making a serious mistake or an error, it costs money to recover and make the client whole again. It's important to perform a high level of quality service. Learning customer service techniques increases productivity and efficiency. It's important to do the job correctly the first time rather than spend time, money, resources to fix problems. A dissatisfied client costs a lot more money to make happy than getting it right the first time and satisfying the client from the very beginning. Customer service in most industries is not very good these days, and it keeps getting worse. The standard priority of providing great customer service has been lost. Treating our clients well should be the standard in your business. According to the American Customer Satisfaction Index, the customer service index has been dropping over a decade for many industries, including restaurants, department stores, and property and casualty insurance. The report scores on a scale of 0 to 100 at the national level and produces indexes for 10 economic sectors, 45 industries including e-commerce and e-business, and more than 225 companies in federal or local government agencies. The overall customer satisfaction index for all industries is only 75, and across most industries, customer satisfaction continues to drop. When was the last time you experienced exceptional customer service? Think about the last time you experienced really bad customer service. It's likely that you have a stronger memory of the bad customer service experience than the good one. So, what's happening to customer service? Imagine yourself as a customer. Think about how many different businesses you encounter as a customer. Think about walking into your bank, the grocery store, the hardware store. Did you go in a doctor's office recently? or the dry cleaners, or your child's school? When did you go to a restaurant or a local deli? Did you shop online recently? Did you purchase or download products from an e-commerce site? When did you call a helpline for assistance with your purchase? As a customer, you know many of the various businesses in your local area, yet you have many choices. There are many different types of vendors that provide online shopping services. How many department stores are in the nearby mall? How many local home inspectors are there to choose from with a simple search on the internet? There are many types of businesses all around you that are readily accessible. You use many of them yourself. Most of them you do not use. As a customer, you have many options. If you feel dissatisfied with the service provided, you can go somewhere else. As a business owner, You have to remember that a customer can go somewhere else. They, too, have choices just like you. Now, think again as a customer. Which businesses come to mind when you think about great customer service? Which ones are terrible? You're likely to remember the businesses that provide either great customer service or terrible ones. The mediocre, average businesses are typically 
forgotten. What kind of customer service do you provide? So let's begin by going over some basics about customer service. Starting with first impressions. You begin providing customer service when you are first seen, heard, or read by a prospective customer. You set the tone for all your future interactions with your clients as soon as they visit your website, read your email, listen to your outgoing voicemail message, talk to you on the phone, read a blog or comment or text message, view your TV commercial or online promo video, watch as your business vehicle drives up to the property, and see you for the first time at the inspection. First impressions for an inspection company are critical. Most clients make the decision to hire an inspector based not upon meeting the inspector in person, but on many other factors. Most inspectors are hired without ever meeting their client in person until just before the actual inspection begins. When you get out of your truck at the inspection site and introduce yourself to the client, he or she has already hired you. There's almost no face-to-face salesmanship involved in the inspection business. For most home inspectors, first impressions are made through their websites, business cards, brochures, or over-the-phone conversation, email, or some other online contact. What you look like, how, you, how well you speak, the words you choose, how you communicate, even how you reply to a client's email all play a role in producing your first impression. Your first impression is good. If your first impression is good, then you've taken the first step in providing great customer service. If your first impression is poor, then you have a lot of work to do to overcome what was perceived at first to be unsatisfactory leaving the customer to wonder whether he or she has made the right choice in hiring you. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Within the first few seconds of meeting your client, you have a chance to make a great first impression. So imagine this scenario. You're pulling into the driveway at the property that you are scheduled to inspect. Client's there. Agent maybe is there. They're standing near the garage door. You park your truck and get out. And what do you do? You pull out your business card. No. First, give them a great big smile. You'd be surprised just how many people forget to smile when meeting someone for the first time. Smile. They'll smile back. Walk up to your client and hold out your hand for a good, firm, brief handshake. When you smile and offer a friendly greeting, you put your client at ease particularly if he or she is a first-time client or home buyer or homeowner. By being friendly from the start, you show that you are approachable and helpful. As children, we learn basic phrases of common courtesy such as please, thank you, and excuse me. As we operate and work on our business, we must not forget those simple lessons. Being courteous means using the same words and phrases that we first learned as children. We also know that, as business owners, clients appreciate courtesy, which includes paying attention when someone else is speaking, not interrupting when others are talking, treating others as you would have yourself treated, playing well with others, being fair and honest, being 
empathetic and apologetic when appropriate. A courteous manner will be appreciated. When you're courteous, you send a powerful message, not just about your personality, but your values. Consider some of the phrases that express common courtesy. Do you mind if I get the inspection started? May may I hold that door for you? Yes, please. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Also, how you convey something is as important as what you convey. For example, use the word yes instead of yeah or uh uh-huh or even yep. Yes sounds professional. It's more challenging to say it, particularly when you're tired at the end of the workday. And save yo for your friends. Inspectors often say excuse me during the inspection. Inspectors need to move around the property, walk in and out of rooms, um, move from one floor to the next, typically while carrying tools and equipment. They need room to do their work, but most often there are clients, all right, real estate agents, family members at the inspection too, and it can get a little crowded. If an inspector needs to move through a bedroom doorway that is being blocked by their client, the inspector should say, excuse me, please. If you inadvertently do something by mistake, such as forget to turn off the bedroom light after leaving, you would say, please excuse me. If you did not hear someone speak or understand what someone said, you would say, excuse me, I didn't hear that. Next time you bump into something or someone, say, please excuse me, I'm sorry. Using sir or ma'am must be used carefully with the correct intonation. Addressing people using those words show respect, but the wrong emphasis could make you sound condescending or sarcastic. You should, at all times, use words and a tone of voice that are respectful. In a business transaction, there are requests and acknowledgments. A request is incomplete without using please. For example, may I please have the correct spelling of your last name? Is an acknowledgment that is incomplete without also adding thank you. For example, thank you for providing your email address is an acknowledgement that your request was fulfilled. Words such as please and thank you seem to be slipping away from our vocabulary, not just in our everyday use with each other, but particularly when it comes to providing customer service and business-related transactions. There are three basic ways to say thank you. You can say it after every encounter. You can write it at the bottom of every message, or you can give it as a gift to help your client remember you. Words of courtesy are powerful. Use them often. They show that you care about people. Tone of voice. Your tone of voice over the phone is critical. It conveys your emotions. It provides evidence of your feelings. Be aware of your tone of voice at all times. Before you pick up the phone, forget the last call or conversation that just ended and smile. Then pick up the phone. Your smile will be heard over the phone. Soften or increase your tone of voice depending upon the situation. Soften it particularly if the caller is experiencing a problem. Smiling when you're speaking is not difficult. It makes a world of difference when communicating verbally. Try it. Stand straight. Plant your feet. Hold out your hand to shake someone else's and smile 
and say, hello, I think you picked a great day for an inspection. A smile is one of the most important aspects of effective communication. It works. It's universal. Try smiling at someone. They'll smile right back. Make it a habit to smile at someone when you're speaking with them. Shake hands properly. It may be odd, but people judge you by your handshake. Grasp the other person's hand so that your palms touch. Provide a firm grasp. Give an intentional shake. Two or three actions at most. Don't grasp excessively tight. Don't test the other person's strength. Don't force or squeeze. While shaking, make eye contact to show that you're interested in the other person and also to pick up on the other person's nonverbal clues. Then release it. That's it. If you avoid shaking hands with either gender, the person may consider it a sign or a lack of respect. Also, a limp handshake expresses discomfort or a lack of strength or self-confidence. These are our nonverbal impressions that you may accidentally convey based upon your handshake, whether or not such attributes are true. You can greatly control the impression you give using nonverbal cues and body language, starting first with your smile, then with your handshake. Try smiling before answering the phone. You'll notice a difference in the way you speak to people. And more importantly, they will hear your smile in your voice and will respond in kind. It doesn't matter if you are smiling while face-to-face with someone or smiling over the phone. Your voice will actually sound much friendlier when you smile. You want people to see and hear that smile. If you know your client's name, use it. Everyone enjoys hearing their name spoken by someone, particularly by someone they've just met. If you don't know your client's name or have forgotten it, ask for it and then remember it. Use it in conversation. If your client is following you around at the property while you perform your inspection, use your client's name. It gets their attention. It demonstrates that you care who they are. And don't forget to give your client your name. Have your business card handy at all times. You can form a strong foundation of customer service by combining a good first impression, language that is courteous, and a smile. So here's an inspection arrival scenario. Mary, she scheduled a home inspection at 123 Main Street for 9 a.m. with the assistance of her real estate agent, Mary chose um, Bob's Inspection Company to perform the inspection. Mary and her agent arrive at 9 a.m. sharp. 9.20, a truck pulls up to the property. A driver's side window is rolled down and loud music is playing. Hey, it's the inspector. His vehicle's dirty, with mud and dirt covering the truck. It doesn't look like it's been washed for a couple weeks. The inspector parks his truck. He's not the owner of the company, Bob but is an employee of the company, and his name's Jim. As Jim gets out of his truck, he takes the cigarette he's been smoking out of his mouth, throws it on the curb, and grinds it out with his boot, 
He takes the last gulp of his to-go coffee and tosses the empty paper cup in the back of his truck. Jim's wearing dirty, worn-out blue jeans and a sleeveless T-shirt and that reads, Have you hugged your home inspector today? His hair is uncombed. He grabs his tool bag, picks, his step, picks up his stepladder, and strolls towards Mary. And Mary says, Hello, um, are you the inspector? Without slowing his pace, Jim responds, Yeah, I am. Um, I'll start on the roof. Sound good? And walks right past Mary, leaving nothing but the stench of cigarettes in his wake. Mary doesn't know Jim's name. She doesn't know what to do or where to go. Should she accompany the inspector, stand there, or wait, or go inside? Mary's not impressed at all by Jim. She feels a little confused. Mary's real estate agent is also very disappointed. Both are reconsidering their choice for an inspector. Hey, when business is good and clients are booked solid for weeks in advance, there may be a tendency to take clients for granted. When that happens to you, you might stop paying attention to how you actually treat your clients. This might be the view Inspector Jim has taken. Some inspectors, like Jim, start to see clients as interruptions to their workday, rather than the reason they're in business. The inspection itself becomes the most important thing, and a client is forgotten or treated like a secondary concern. When you start to take your clients for granted and treat them poorly, they will immediately pick up on this and you may find yourself very soon without any clients at all. When clients are treated well, they'll tend to do repeat business with you and or recommend you to others. When you treat your clients poorly, they'll leave you and conduct their business with somebody else. There will always be other options. First impressions matter. First impressions include how a person looks, including their grooming and attire, as well as their tone of voice and use of language, along with their general comportment and attitude and much, so much more. Think about yourself. What type of first impression do you make when you arrive at the property? Do you look and act like Jim? Mary's first impression of Bob's inspection company was not favorable. The inspector was late. Mary was expecting Bob, but Jim showed up. Jim's attire and appearance were dirty and disheveled and somewhat offensive. His communication was lacking and inadvertently, but definitely, disrespectful. When Jim did not approach his client, greet her, and properly introduce himself, he was clearly demonstrating that he didn't value Mary as a client, but he was treating her as someone who was getting in the way of his job. The first thing Jim should have done was to get out of his truck and, without grabbing anything but his clipboard and business card, Greet Mary and her agent with a handshake and a polite introduction such as, Hello, I'm Jim from Bob's Inspection Company. It's good to meet you. He also should have apologized for his tardiness and explained why he was late. His dress, appearance, and attitude were inappropriate and un unprofessional. If Even if Jim had finished his coffee and cigarette before driving to the job site and pulled up in a clean truck with the radio turned low or off, and was well-dressed, well-groomed, his attitude and impolite behavior sets the stage for a negative business transaction for Bob's inspection company. Jim demonstrated, intentionally or not, that he did not care about his client very much. As a representative of Bob's inspection company, he was also conveying that Bob didn't care about his client very much either, 
even though Bob wasn't even present at the job site. Mary and her real estate agent were understandably disappointed. Even if setting the inspection appointment went smoothly beforehand, Jim conveyed an in-person first impression that would be difficult, if not impossible, to overcome, as far as Mary and her real estate agent are concerned. There are many factors to get right when it comes to first impressions, and most of them involve common sense and common courtesy. Unfortunately, neither is common enough these days. How well are you doing when it comes to making a good first impression? Research says that people tend to respond less to what you say and more to your body language. Your tone of voice is the second most important factor in face-to-face communication. What you actually say is third. Therefore, be aware of what you are physically doing and how your clients may perceive your actions. Here are a few recommendations about what you should do on the day of the inspection. Well, schedule enough time for lunch. Try not to eat while driving. If you do, check your clothes for drips of food and stains before you arrive at the property. Wash your vehicle in the morning before arriving at your first inspection of the day. Identify your company on your vehicle, possibly with a car magnet or vinyl lettering, which are removable and less expensive than painting. Do not pull into the driveway with your radio blaring, whether it's music, uh, commercials, or talk radio. Anything loud is annoying and disrupts the environment and shows a lack of respect for the neighbors, which reflects poorly on the client. At all times, particularly when meeting a client for the first time, you ought to have a calm rather than rushed demeanor, even when you are running late. Before exiting your vehicle, check your breath, your nose, and your teeth. Don't embarrass yourself by allowing empty cans or other trash to fall out of your truck when you open a door. Don't slam the door of your vehicle. Don't arrive smoking or chewing tobacco. Don't spit. Don't arrive carrying up a cup of coffee or some other beverage. Keep at least one hand free so you can greet your client with a handshake. If you're on your cell phone when you pull up, Quickly conclude your call before exiting your vehicle. You want your client to feel that he or she is your only priority when you arrive at the inspection. Keep your tools and equipment organized and maintained. Don't wrestle your inspection ladder off the vehicle. Have your business card ready as you approach the property. Wear a nice watch. It shows that you respect your client's time. The first thing to do when improving your first impression in person is to check your appearance. Do not let something as simple as dirty clothes or unwashed vehicle be an obstacle to your client forming a favorable first impression of you. Make your hair and your hands clean and neat. Your face and teeth should be clean. Your dress should be clean, decent, and in order. Your overall image should be professional. So, use the following number chart to help you. Take a look at that. What number are you? Should an inspector be judged by what he or she wears? Perhaps not, but the reality is that proper attire is an important part of an inspector's success. An inspector's core product is himself or herself. And the product should be packaged professionally. 
When you know you look good, you feel good. When you dress appropriately, you do not draw negative attention to yourself. Figure out what's the appropriate dress in your area. Dress shorts might be appropriate in hot climates, whereas they may not be appropriate in northern colder climates. The following contains some tips for inspectors. Never arrive to an inspection in dirty clothes. It's fine for clothes to get dirty during the inspection because the client expects this to happen. Consider bringing coveralls or a Tyvek suit. They'll keep your clothes from getting dirty while you crawl through the attics and crawl spaces. If you have more than one inspection scheduled for the day, great, but consider bringing a change of clothes or at least a fresh shirt. Consider dressing up a bit, perhaps wearing a tie when working in more expensive neighborhoods and dressing casually in more modest neighborhoods. Dress for the type of property, too. Inspecting a horse farm may require boots. A dentist's office may require shoe covers. Dress for the climate. Shorts are fine in southern and beach areas, but are often not adequate in cooler northern climates. Cut-off jeans and gym shorts are not appropriate. Nicer shorts with pockets to hold inspection equipment are acceptable. Khakis or jeans can be appropriate depending on the client base. Tank tops are never appropriate on an inspection. T-shirts are generally not recommended unless they sport an inspection-related logo or your inspection company's name. Polo or collared shirts are fine, as are sports jackets. Sports teams, political and pop culture printed t-shirts are never appropriate. Such messages and images can passively offend clients. A suit is not appropriate either, as it implies that you are not dressed to inspect crawl spaces or attics. A rare exception is made for leaders of multiple inspection teams. It's acceptable for inspection clothes to be loose-fitting. Inspections require a great deal of reaching, climbing, crawling, activities that will be made more difficult in tight or restrictive clothing. Shoes should be laced up and rugged. Laces ensure that feet will not slip out of the shoes. Inspectors should be prepared for a dirty and strenuous job. In warmer climates or summer days, you can wear clean tennis shoes or athletic shoes or boat shoes. Outside of beach towns, open-toed sandals are not appropriate, even in summer. Female inspectors should not, of course, wear dresses or high heels. Bring an extra pair of shoes. Boots or work shoes can be swapped for a nice pair of slippers or sneakers before entering living areas. Never track mud, roofing tar, or pet droppings into a home. Also, some customs require the removal of shoes and hats upon entry. Before an inspection, make sure you have showered, brushed your teeth, flossed, used mouthwash, trimmed your nails, shaved or trimmed your beard if you have one, combed your hair, and applied deodorant. Also, go easy on the cologne and perfume, huh? Between inspections, freshen up with a travel bag that contains a hand mirror or camping mirror, a comb or brush, chewing gum, preferably like a mint, or a otherwise sanitizing flavor, a mouthwash, a deodorant, spare bag for dirty clothes, and wet naps. These can be used to clean or sanitize your hands before meeting the client.
you don't get a second chance. You should carefully consider how your clients perceive you. Clothing and hygiene can create impressions that are as valuable to repeat business as the quality of your inspection. Remember, you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. Being ethical means being honest, doing what's right, and being accountable. The International Association of Certified Home Inspectors promotes a high standard of professionalism, business ethics, and inspection procedures. InterNACHI members subscribe to the InterNACHI Code of Ethics in the course of their business, which includes their duty to the public, duty to pursue continuing education, and their duty to the profession. Inspectors following the code shall be fair, honest, impartial, and act in good faith in dealing with the public. The inspectors shall not discriminate in any business activities on the basis of race, color, sex, or religion. The inspectors shall be truthful and shall always act in the interests of their client. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Become a person others can rely on. When you say something to a client, mean it. If you say that you'll be there at 9 a.m., then arrive there no later than 9 a.m. If you do not get on roofs to inspect them, then do not tell your clients that you do. If you tell your client that you have a complete report by tomorrow morning, you'd better start writing. If you cannot do what your client asks of you, then tell them. Tell them what you can and cannot do. George Washington said, Undertake not what you cannot perform but be careful to keep your promise. If you do not know the answer to a question, say so. It's okay not to know. Inspectors are not supposed to know everything. Home inspectors are not experts, but generalists. If you don't know the answer to your client's question, tell them, I don't know. You can also say to your client, please ask me any question. If I don't have the answer, I'll make every effort to find it for you. Be truthful about your services, your capabilities, and your qualifications if you provide wood-destroying organism inspections. Be sure to inform your client. They have a right to know that you provide other services that they might be interested in. If you provide WDO inspections, make sure that you are capable of doing them, able and skilled. If you provide any services that require certifications or licensing, be sure you communicate those qualifications to your client. Always be truthful about what you can and cannot do. Never make misleading claims about your services. Advertising. Make sure that your advertising about your qualifications and certifications actually represent the services you intend to provide. Mark Cohen attorney for the International Association of Certified Home Inspectors, issued a statement reminding inspectors to be cautious in advertising themselves as code certified or ICC certified. The warning comes in the wake of a recent court ruling in which a home inspector who marketed himself as code certified was held liable to a client for misrepresentation after a local government determined that the home he had inspected was not Quote, up to code, unquote. Training offered by the International Code Council, ICC, 
can be beneficial to home inspectors, but Cohen says home inspectors should be careful not to suggest or imply that their home inspections will ensure that the residence is in compliance with all applicable codes. Codes vary from one jurisdiction to the next, and whether something is up to code is often a judgment call made by a government employee. Unless an inspector intends to warrant that the property is in compliance with all codes, the inspector should make clear in his advertising and in his contract that the inspection seeks to identify defects but does not attempt to identify code violations. Cone warns inspectors to use care in advertising their services, saying statements contained in an advertisement or on a website may form the basis for subsequent claims of misrepresentation by clients who did not understand the inspector's role. Putting clients first. A business must operate to suit their clients' needs, not the needs of the company. If you can always fulfill your clients' needs, you'll avoid the risk that they'll go somewhere else. To ensure that you meet and exceed your clients' demands and expectations and continue to get their business, you need to put your client first. You can anticipate your clients' needs by identifying who your clients are, understanding them, and listening to them. To satisfy your client's expectations, you need to always strive to improve your services compared to your competitions. Make sure you identify your best clients and keep in regular contact with them. Your best clients are not necessarily those who bring you the biggest profits, but those who will keep using your services and will always keep making referrals to new clients. It costs less to keep existing clients than to get new ones. So, focus on keeping your best clients. List 10 of the top, say, real estate agents who refer work to you, and then talk to them frequently. Word about real estate agents. If you deal with real estate agents on a regular basis, get interested in their business. Ask real estate agents how their business is, get, is going you're likely to gain insight into your own inspection business. Sign up for e-newsletters that real estate agents are likely to be signed up with, such as the newsletter from the National Association of Realtors. Ask the real estate agent at your next inspection, hey, how was it finding this home for my client? Show an interest in what they do with your client. For real estate agents or any client who continuously refers work to you, create a loyalty program that awards discounts to those valued clients. Everything your company does should have a direct connection to satisfy your clients. The knowledge and skills gained in your training and education should always benefit your clients. If your company's goal and objectives do not have your clients in mind, then you risk losing them. It's important to review all procedures and business processes that your company uses to ensure that each one puts your clients first, even if it's only the process used to answer the phone. Ask, how does the way we're answering our calls affect our clients?
buying decisions. Your client's buying process can be complex and not so easy to understand. A few buying decisions are based solely on price. When clients are trying to decide to hire you, they'll consider several factors in making their decisions, including Will the service do what I need it to do? Will it fulfill my needs? Will it be delivered on time? Are these professionals um, certified or properly trained? Will it include customer support if needed? Do I like the people of the inspection company? Are they legitimate? Can I trust this company? Do my colleagues and friends like this company? Does the company offer good value? Do I like the way they look? Did they treat me well over the phone? Are the inspection fees competitive? What do other people think about this company? Would my money and time be better spent elsewhere? Be aware of the many reasons a person will hire you in addition to price. Not all potential clients who are calling you are price shopping. The initial phone call might start out with, what do you charge for an inspection? But that likely is not the most important factor involved in the decision to hire you as their inspector. Make sure you express to a potential client who may be price shopping for services that buying a home is probably the most expensive purchase that they'll ever make. Tell them this is no time to shop for a cheap inspection. The cost of a home inspection is very small relative to the home being inspected. The additional cost of hiring a certified inspector is almost insignificant. As a home buyer, you have recently been crunching the numbers, negotiating offers, adding up closing costs, shopping for mortgages, and trying to get the best deals. Well, don't stop now. Don't let your real estate agent or patty cake inspector or anyone else talk you into skimping here. Tell them, either on the phone or through your website, that you perform the very best inspections. You earn your fees many times over. You do more, and yes, you charge a little more. Communicate to the callers to do themselves a favor and pay a little more for the quality inspection they deserve. Communication. It's not just about words. Essentially, your communication skills are based on your behavior that someone else interprets as bearing a message. Success in your business will often depend on how well you communicate. Almost everything you do involves communication. And we're not just talking about writing your inspection report. Communication involves your appearance and your body language. In a conversation, you're either speaking or listening. If you're speaking, you want to choose the right words and use positive, nonverbal communication. Your tone of voice is critical. Oftentimes, how you say something is more important than what you say. Even if you choose the right words and say them in an appropriate tone of voice, you still have to pay attention to your nonverbal communication. It's important to your company to have everyone, from field inspectors to office staff, understand how effectively communicating to your client is critical. The inspector who arrives at the inspection is your client's primary source of communication. If your subcontractor or employee of the company performs the inspection, they represent not only the inspection company, but, in the mind of the client, they are the company. So, 
as the company's representative, no matter who it is, how that person communicates to the client is very important to the company. The most effective way to communicate is through face-to-face -face conversation. When you're speaking with someone in front of you, you can pick up the clues about their personality and cues about their mood and intention by their facial and physical expressions. Most often, inspectors are hired days before ever meeting their client. You may find that many of your communication skills are used long before you arrive at the property, on the phone, in writing emails, leaving voicemail messages, and communicating via your website. Before being hired, home inspectors usually don't have the advantage that face-to-face -face communication provides. Using good grammar is essential in effectively communicating to your clients. Choose the right words. Think before you speak. Pause and consider what you want to say. Communicating information about your inspection. Choose words that will be understood by your client. Use short and simple phrases. Use familiar words instead of technical ones that will help you convey the correct message. Don't use big words merely to impress people. Jargon. Refrain from using acronyms and jargon or inspector speak. There are phrases that inspectors use that would likely not be understood by everyone in the conversation. Not everyone knows what an FSBO or FHA inspection is. You may sound exclusionary when you say, it's an old 3.5 ton air-to-air -air R22-COM RTU over a pizza shop. Because not everyone will understand what you're saying. If you're not sure if your client understands you, Check the nonverbal communication for clues as to whether your message is being understood. Your inspection report can be filled with technical terms and robust vocabulary, but when you're speaking in person with a first-time home buyer, say, you may want to use easy-to-understand terminology and phrases. Lee Iacocca said, You can have brilliant ideas, but if you can't get them across, your ideas won't go anywhere. Tone of voice. How you say something is more important than what you say. Let's do a fun exercise in verbal communication. Pretend that you're asking the following question to a client in an excited tone of voice. Will you be attending the inspection? Then repeat the question in an angry, irritated tone of voice. Will you be uh, attending the inspection? Then try a bored, disinterested tone. Will you be attending the inspection? Then try an insecure or doubtful tone. Will you be attending the inspection? See how you can say the same thing in different ways? And it all depends on your tone of voice. Your tone of voice is very important when speaking to someone, either over the phone or face-to-face. -face. People pay attention mostly to how you say something and not what you say. If a client is upset about something, use a tone of voice that's concerned or attentive. If a client needs your help, use an excited and interested tone of voice. If you're face-to-face -face with someone, pay attention to his or her nonverbal communication. That'll help you adjust your tone of voice so that it's appropriate for the conversation. It's noted that our nonverbal communication accounts for about 55% of our message's impact. The tone of our voice accounts for 38. 
the actual words we use accounts only for 7% of our message impact. As the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. People pay more attention to what you do than what you say. When you're in the presence of another person, you're communicating. What is mostly being communicated is what you are not saying. One study suggests that 93% of our most effective communication comes through nonverbal communication. If you're looking at someone, smiling at your friend, speaking face-to-face, talking over the phone, texting, emailing, listening to someone talk to you, uploading a picture to your website, playing a video of a crawl space inspection, you're communicating. If you appear frustrated with your paperwork, if you come down from the attic space irritated, if you appear excited about inspecting the roof, you're communicating. If you're not saying anything at all, you're communicating. If you ignore someone, you're communicating. If you walk past someone without looking at him or her, if you do not step aside for someone walking past you, or if you do not wave back to someone waving at you, you are still communicating. Your nonverbal communication speaks louder than words most of the time. We speak with our body, our actions, and our face. We speak with smiles, frowns, or raised eyebrows. We even communicate with the distance we put between ourselves and another person. Maintain good posture. Don't slouch. Keep your head up and look at the other person. Keep your hands comfortable by placing them on your hips. Hold something such as an inspection tool or a pen or gently clasp your hands together in front of you or behind your back. When listening, nod your head occasionally. Always be aware of your body language. Everything you don't say sends a stronger message than the actual words you do use. By the way, the convention is to keep about three feet of space between yourself and the person you're talking to. Look him in the eye. It's one of the most challenging aspects of communicating for many people. To look someone in the eyes while speaking is difficult, but can be the most powerful tool in communicating. When you look at someone in the eyes when you speak, you convey confidence and awareness. Eye contact elevates the conversation into something meaningful. Allowing your eyes to wander during conversation may convey that you're not interested or that you're interested in something else. Eye contact is a powerful tool, but don't stare. Try holding eye contact for three or four seconds at most. Staring will make the other person feel uncomfortable or will convey that you're threatening. Engage. Don't glare. If there's more than one person in the conversation, you will then shift your eye contact from one person to the other. Even if you're engaged in actual conversation with only one of those people, make eye contact with the other person letting them know that they are welcome to listen in and join in. One study suggests that which eye you look at is important in what message you want to communicate. If you want to communicate something that's emotional, such as empathy, then you look into the person's left eye. If you want to communicate something that is intellectual, such as when making a serious point, then you look in the person's right eye. Give it a try. It might work.
Remember that prolonged or intense eye contact can increase a person's discomfort with you. People from various cultures have varying beliefs about appropriate eye contact, so be considerate. Let's do a fun exercise in nonverbal communication. Pretend that you're explaining to a client that the roof is leaking water. As you speak out loud, imagine being face-to-face and smiling and say, The roof is leaking water. Now try to look down at your feet and mumble, The roof is leaking water. Then try looking up at the sky. Yawn and stretch your arms and speak, Yay, the roof is leaking water. Lastly, stand with your arms crossed over your chest and say the words, The roof is leaking water. You can say the same words but convey very different meanings with your nonverbal communication. When you're smiling while face-to-face with somebody, your nonverbal communication conveys that you care and that you are interested. When you look at your feet and mumble, you're saying that you're not interested and you're not being honest. When you are yawning, you're saying that uh, you're exhausted or you're bored. Facing someone with your arms crossed sometimes conveys that you don't believe what the other person is saying or that you're angry. This defensive posture can create an imaginary wall between yourself and your client. It's important that you understand how you say the right words, but convey the wrong meaning. When you convey the wrong meaning, it wastes time and energy because you have to correct the other person's impression of what you said. Asking questions. We ask questions for many reasons. Inspectors use questions in order to find out more information. And there are two different types of questions. Open-ended questions and closed-ended questions. A closed-ended question can be answered with a word or two. A yes or no question is a closed-ended question. Closed-ended questions may begin with who, what, where, when. Here are some examples. Who do you use to service your furnace every year? When did you install this new water heater? Where is the well located on your property? Open-ended questions require more than just a yes or no answer and are designed to encourage the exchange of more information, such questions generally being how or why. Here's some examples. Why do you want to order a mold test? How has your comfort level been since you installed your new windows? If you are answering a client's question, be sure you understand the question before answering it. If you do not know the answer, tell them uh, you do not know. Don't make things up. Respond, I don't know, but I'll find out the answer for you later. If you're answering a question, try providing more than a one or two word answer. And there's a reason for this. By providing a longer answer, you may be able to increase sales. Let's look at a conversation that involves asking questions for scheduling an inspection. A client calls your office and schedules an inspection. The prospective client, Mary, says, I see on your website that you do home inspections. I'm calling to schedule one for next week. Do you have anything available? Your office manager could respond, yep, But instead, she responds positively with more than just a one-word answer by saying, Yes, we do. We have an available slot 
on Tuesday, 9 a.m. Would that work for you? Yeah, that'll work great, says Mary. Then she asks, can I pay with a credit card? Again, your office manager could respond, yeah. But instead she replies, yes, of course. We accept Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express for payment of our home inspection services. The office manager continues, trying an upsell by asking Mary, are you interested in any other inspections? Mary asks, well, do you do radon tests? We sure do, responds the office office manager. Our inspectors are trained and certified to perform radon tests. We also perform infrared thermography inspections, mold inspections, water quality inspections, and wood-destroying insect inspections. Well, I'd like to have you do just the radon test, please, says Mary. Okay, just one more question, says the office manager. Do you want your home inspection report printed on site or emailed to you? The office manager did not respond with one-word answers. The office manager was able to ask open-ended questions about other types of inspections, then followed up by a closed-ended question to clarify. By providing more than a one- or two-word answer to potential clients' questions, the office manager was able to continue a dialogue and sell the company's services effectively. Listening You can talk and listen at the same time. A conversation is like a tennis match, with each person having a turn. Let the other person speak. Respect the other person's point of view. When you're speaking, choose your words carefully. When you're listening, pay attention. Without learning how to listen, you'll never be able to effectively communicate with your clients. Focus on the other person when listening. Pay attention to them. Don't allow your mind or your eyes to wander. If you're face-to-face, don't look over their shoulder to see who else is coming into the room. Try to stay interested. Smile. Make eye contact. Nod occasionally. Say things like, uh, I see. Hmm, yes. Hmm. These are called prompts because they prompt the speaker to continue and indicate that you're listening. It's good practice to wait a second, literally, after someone has finished speaking before you begin talking. Take a moment. Allow a moment of pause or silence to exist after someone finishes his or her sentence. It will help prevent you from talking while someone else is. Avoid rushing in while someone is speaking if they've created a short pause in their conversation. Allow the speaker to pause and think about what they're saying. A pause in the conversation does not necessarily mean you need to jump in and say something. Sometimes an inspector is hurried in an activity of the inspection. When there is a need to communicate to the client, the inspector might speak too quickly and trip over words being excited about the inspection process. Your client might not understand what you're trying to say, or they may lose interest in listening to you ramble on. Remember to slow down. Emphasize a point by slowing down your speech slightly, but not too slow. Just enough to demonstrate that you have poise and confidence in what you are saying. Speaking clearly does not require speaking quickly. If you see that your client is losing interest in what you're saying, try speeding things up a bit, increase your speech rate or pace, only to avoid being dull or droning. Try to be a communicator that can vary his rate of speech. Slow down to emphasize points and make things clear and speed up to avoid droning on and to maintain the listener's interest. 
If you're excited about your inspection service, then show it. Tell people that you're passionate about your inspections. If you believe in your inspection company, don't be shy. Show your conviction and your enthusiasm for helping home buyers make an informed decision. Allow your feelings to come out naturally, but avoid faking it. Humor. Having a sense of humor can help you communicate with your clients without ever telling a joke. Humor breaks down walls of communication. Humor relaxes everybody. It opens you up to others. You can find common ground using humor. Here are some tips when using humor in a business setting. Pay attention to the other person's mood. Joke about yourself instead of anyone else, which can inadvertently demonstrate snobbery or bigotry or simply an unkind nature. Use self-deprecating humor. Point out the humorous aspects or the lighter side of your work. Don't expect laughter, but you can laugh at your own jokes. If you think that you're just not funny, well, I disagree. Try keeping a notebook and pen in your inspection vehicle, and when something unusual or funny or humorous or strange or just plain interesting happens, write it down. It's like keeping a little humorous story journal for retelling the tales to your clients. Well, for example, I was doing an inspection for a home buyer one hot summer day, and I had to wear a long sleeve sweatshirt during the entire inspection. And it was so hot, I started to really perspire, and then I started to sweat a lot. My sweatshirt was uh, wet by the end of the inspection, and everybody noticed. My head was sweating, I looked quite overheated, and it was obvious I had some type of uh, an entire problem. At the end of the inspection, my client said that she just had to ask me why I wore a sweatshirt during the inspection on this really hot day. It didn't make any sense. I told her that I didn't want to, but I had to. See, I lifted up my shirt and revealed my uh, business shirt underneath. And it was a mess because it had a huge stain on it. And I proceeded to tell a humorous story. While driving to the inspection, I tried eating a hot dog and it had chili sauce. It's my favorite. And I hit a bump in the road, and the dog and the sauce squirted out of my hand and went all over my good shirt, my, my inspection shirt for the next inspection. I wasn't paying any attention, and I swerved off the road and hit another bump, which sent my coffee flying, which landed on my backup shirt that I carried in my truck. Now, I couldn't show up looking like I did, so I went to the nearest store, which was um, a sporting sh- uh, sh- store, and... For some strange reason, uh, the first thing I thought of was to purchase a sweatshirt. A sweatshirt. I wasn't thinking at all. I was running late, and that's what I did. I ran in and grabbed a sweatshirt, not thinking of what I really needed was, you know, like a light cotton shirt. Now I was stuck wearing a, a nice shirt with chili sauce stains under a heavy sweatshirt, which cost me 24 bucks. As I told my humorous story. Everyone was laughing, giggling, at my expense, and I didn't mind it one bit. It was great. That was humor. Making others laugh a little bit. I'll admit that I added some emotion, sound, color to the story, but I gave my clients a great inspection and an enjoyable, memorable experience, I'm sure. Humor reduces stress. And your client, if he or she happens to be a first-time home buyer, 
Ah, they're under a lot of stress. Lighten things up a bit. Building relationships. Clients are the lifeblood of any inspection company, and successful companies establish and maintain client relationships. The ultimate goal for building relationships is to increase profit, but there are other benefits for building relationships with clients. Building client relationships help improve customer service and can reduce costs and complaints. The number of satisfied clients will increase, and satisfied clients will refer new clients to you. Growth in any business is an indicator of having good relationships with clients. A home inspector will typically see their clients only once during the inspection. The home inspection business is different than most other businesses in that you don't get to meet your client until he or she hires you. Even if a client does business with your inspection company only once, they'll remember your company by their relationship with the inspector. That relationship could be a good one or a bad one. No matter what type it is, they'll tell others. People talk with others about the experiences they had with you. Therefore, it's important to build good relationships with your clients. Building relationships with clients is critical to providing positive customer service. For the client, the inspector is the company. The inspector who performs the inspection for the client represents the company. The client will judge and remember their experience with your inspection company essentially by how they interacted with the inspector at the time of the inspection. It's important for the inspector to interact positively with the client and demonstrate a sincere desire to help that client in order to build a good relationship. We've learned how the inspector can be courteous, communicate effectively, use nonverbal communication skills, ask the right questions, and listen carefully. Now, let's learn about relationship building. And there are two types of relationships for a business, new and ongoing. A business can work on building new relationships and maintain positive ongoing relationships. Imagine arriving at the inspection. You get out of your truck and approach your client who's waiting for you in the driveway. You smile and you hold out your hand. Now you say hello, then establish a rapport with your client by talking about something you have in common. Try, how are you today? This is an awesome day for a home inspection. Or I just drove through a really nice neighborhood. Or what can I do for you today? From the first few words that your client responds with, you have the opportunity to be positive and genuinely interested in what they say. Don't ask, how are you today, if you're not really interested in the answer. If you're truly interested in your client, then you'll listen to what they say and respond accordingly. If your client says, I'm really nervous about this whole thing, I don't know what to do, I'm really excited to see my new house though, respond with more than just a, oh, doesn't that sound like you're very interested? No. Why did you even bother to ask? Instead, be interested in your client. To demonstrate that you're listening, try repeating what your client says. For example, you may respond, um, From what I understand, you are concerned about the roof and finding any moisture problems. Is that correct? Summarizing your understanding of what your client has told you shows you've been listening and you're interested in, in helping them. Sympathy versus empathy. By being sensitive to your client who is perhaps feeling overwhelmed by the inspection process, you're being empathetic and considerate. 
But when you respond to your clients with sympathy, you're getting as upset as they are, and that's not good. When you respond to your clients with empathy, you acknowledge and affirm a client's emotional state. You're being empathetic. A good response would be, I can see that you are really upset about the whole inspection process. I understand. But try to relax. Common ground. There are ways to find common ground. You can say a few things to your client that might help establish something in common. Like, um, I'm a homeowner. I bought my house a few years ago. Or, have you taken off work to be here at the inspection? Or, do you have any children? I have two. Or, do you have any concerns that you'd like me to check up for you? Have you been to a home inspection before? Here's my cell phone number if you have any questions after I leave. If you see a repeat client or someone who has just used your services before, you can add, It's good to see you again. If it's a real estate agent, you can mention something that you remembered about them. How did that inspection on Main Street last week work out for you? Establishing rapport may include demonstrating that you can be trusted. And the best, easiest way an inspector can demonstrate trustworthiness is to provide the code of ethics to his clients. Inform your client that you perform your inspections according to a standards of practice and a code of ethics. Once you establish a new client relationship, your work is not done. You need to maintain an ongoing relationship. Clients who are in a business relationship with your company will either use you a second time or they will provide referrals to new clients. One of the best ways to maintain an ongoing relationship with a client is to remember them. Remember the last time you saw your client. Remember something about them. It will make your client feel valued. The most important thing to remember about a client is their name. Make it a point to learn their name and use it. For those repeat clients, try to do something special for them. Try offering a complimentary mold test, a free home maintenance book, a gift card, some new batteries for their smoke detector. Show your repeat clients that you appreciate them. In dealings with your clients, always try to be calm, patient, professional, and respectful. People with disabilities. Learn how to effectively and sensitively communicate and interact with people with disabilities. You may be concerned that you will say something or do the wrong thing. Listed here are some suggestions on how to relate to and communicate with and about people with disabilities. General Tips for Communicating with People with Disabilities When introduced to a person with a disability, it's appropriate to offer to shake hands. People with limited hand use or who wear an artificial limb can usually shake hands. Shaking hands with the left hand is an acceptable greeting. If you offer assistance, wait until the offer is accepted before providing it. 
then listen to or ask for instructions. Treat adults as adults. Address people who have disabilities by their names only when extending the same familiarity to all others. Relax. Don't be embarrassed if you happen to use common expressions such as see you later or did you hear that? That seemed to relate to a person's disability. Don't be afraid to ask questions when you're unsure of what to do. Remember, relax, treat the individual with dignity, respect, and courtesy. Listen to the individual, offer assistance, but don't insist, and do not be offended if your offer is not accepted. Checklist. You can provide a checklist of things your client can do while you are doing the inspection. It gives them something to do instead of feeling uneasy about the whole process. Tell your client, this is your time to get to know your house. Walk around and look at everything. If you need me in the beginning, I'll be on the roof. Or, here's a checklist of things you can do while I'm inspecting your house. Pay attention to the body language or nonverbal communication of your clients. Tune in to them. You'll be able to pick up on their attitudes. A first-time home buyer might be tentative or cautious. A property owner or a seller might be scrutinizing or insulting. A real estate agent might be concerned or suspicious. By tuning into your client's attitude, you can help them by communicating with them better. Thank your clients for using your business. Whether they're present at the inspection or not, let your clients know that you appreciate their business. Make sure that you say at least, thank you very much for allowing me to inspect the home. You might include a few things with your service that provides extra value and show your appreciation to your client's business. You might insert the printed inspection report into a th nice three-ring binder. Inside the binder, you could include inspection articles, including those related to home maintenance. A new battery for their smoke detector might be a memorable gift. Some inspectors will give their clients a cookie. A simple gesture can demonstrate your appreciation and gratitude. You might want to include a book about home maintenance with your inspection service. This makes a physical connection between you and your client and helps maintain your ongoing relationship. Inspectors send thank you messages shortly after the inspection report has been provided to their client using email. Writing a thank you note after the inspection can be the key to maintaining a good relationship. In these days of electronic communication, it's appropriate to send thank you letters by email, but not by text. Save texting for your friends. Using email, you can send your thank you message immediately. The thank you email should be brief and to the point. When a client calls your company, they expect two things from you, that you'll be nice and that you'll do good. Being nice means that you're going to be courteous and respectful and that you're going to listen. Doing good means that you will help the caller in whatever way you can. Whoever answers the phone for your company is the company. It doesn't matter if that person is the owner, the office manager, or field inspector. During that phone call, the person who answers the phone has the opportunity to create for the caller a positive experience with your company.
What memorable experience do you convey when you pick up the phone? What does your prospective client think? When you're talking with a client on the phone, listen. Focus entirely on your client and what they're saying. Listen carefully, not only to what they're saying, but also how they're saying it. Tune into their tone of voice. The first words out of your client's mouth usually tell you the reason for the call. It's the most important thing your client wants to tell you, and you shouldn't miss it. Never ask the person to repeat their opening statement. Listen and pay attention, particularly in the very beginning. Have a pen and paper handy, or you can take notes on your computer software that handles phone calls and communications and scheduling. If your client gives their name, write it down. If your client is emotional in any way, particularly if he's angry or upset, jot that down in your notes. You don't have to write anything down as if it's a transcript of the conversation, but write down the highlights and the most important points. Don't interrupt. If your client is calling about something because you inspected the house last month and now the roof is leaking through the bedroom ceiling, don't interrupt. If you interrupt your client in this situation, they'll even get more upset thinking that you don't have the time or desire to hear about their situation. Answer on the first ring. Don't allow the phone to ring more than four times. Most people expect a business phone to be answered quickly. Before you pick up the phone, smile. Your smile will be heard over the phone. Identify yourself by stating your business name, your first name, your opening statement. It could be a question such as, how may I help you? Speak with a smile and in a friendly tone of voice. Be ready and eager to help and please. Establish rapport by finding common ground. Be personal and helpful, such as in this greeting. Uh, thank you for calling Joe's Inspections. This is Rachel. How may I help you today? Reiterate what the other person has said or has requested before proceeding. Make sure you understand what the other person wants. Summarize this way. Okay, let's see if I understand. Inspector Joe performed the inspection last month. Now the roof is leaking. Water is dripping through the ceiling. You're calling to see what should be done, and how Inspector Joe can help. Is that correct? If you need to look something up or retrieve some information that requires you to be off the phone or silent for a few moments, then inform the person on the line what you're doing. Tell them what you're going to do or why they may not hear you on the other end for a few seconds. Tell them, all right, I'm writing down the information you provided, or... I'm looking up the report documents, or I'll have to put you on hold while I get the inspector. It's going to be a few moments. If you're going to put someone on hold, explain why and provide an estimated time. It's common courtesy. Um, I'll have to put you on hold so I can find the inspection report. It'll take a minute. Will you hold? If you find that it's taking longer than a minute, get back on the phone line and tell the other person that it'll be longer and provide an update or an option to call them back. When you finally get the information and return to the call, thank the other person for waiting. You should not expect anyone to wait more than a couple of minutes. If the wait time is two, three minutes longer, tell the other person that you will call them before the end of the day. Refrain from using phrases such as, I'll call you back as soon as possible, or as soon as I can. 
when you talk on the phone with someone, you need to use your words more carefully than when you talk with someone face-to-face. The phone eliminates all that really important nonverbal communication. Effective phone talk is short and to the point. And adding prompts or sounds such as, hmm, I see, further indicate that you're listening and that what the caller is saying is very important to you. The goal of your website is to lead a visitor to make the decision to hire you. Your website must quickly make visitors believe that the information they're seeking is just a click away and then shape the delivery of that information such that it leads each visitor toward a decision to hire you for an inspection service. The way people read your website is different than the way they read any other written information. And here's some advice about communicating to people who visit your site. Make sure you understand who is visiting your site. Talk specifically to them. Make sure you understand what they need from you and then provide that information effectively. A home inspector's clients are nearly always home buyers, and most of these will be first-time home buyers. Many of these home buyers are conveniently in one place, online. They're online touring new homes, researching schools, emailing their real estate agents, shopping for mortgages, and looking for home inspectors. Since you will not have an opportunity to sell your inspection services face-to-face, it's important that your website be capable of doing your selling for you. To a potential client, your website is your way of communicating who you are and what you do. The most important page on your website is your home page, and it's the first impression you give to everyone. As a home inspector, you might work on some of the most expensive real estate in the world, But no home is as valuable per square foot as your own inspection website's homepage. The right homepage can generate you many thousands of dollars in inspection business if it's designed correctly. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. Statistics. According to the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, for every complaint you hear, there are 26 additional clients with unresolved problems, and six of these are serious. You'll never hear from these 26 again, and they are the ones who could tell you how to make your business better. Half to 70% of the clients who complain will do business with your company again if you resolve the problem. If they feel you acted quickly and to their satisfaction, up to 96% of them will do business again with you, and they will probably refer other people to you. A dissatisfied client will tell 9 to 15 people about their experience, and about 10% of your dissatisfied clients will tell more than 20 people about their problem. You cannot possibly afford the advertising cost it would take to overcome this word-of-mouth negative publicity. It costs five to six times as much to get a new first-time client as it does to keep a current one. The rule of tens state that it costs up to $10,000 to get a new client, 10 seconds to lose him or her, and up to 10 years for the client to get over whatever made him or her leave you. Do you know why most clients stop using your services? 
the White House Office of Consumer Affairs says that 1% simply die, 3% move far away from your business location, 14% are dissatisfied with this service, 9% leave because of your competition, and most importantly, 68% stop using your services because of an attitude indifference toward the client by your company staff. For most people, it was your attitude that mattered most. Make sure your company is doing the right thing when it comes to satisfying clients. Imagine how you would like to be treated if you were a client, especially one with a complaint. Emails. All inspection orders should be confirmed using email. Automatic emails should be sent to clients and agents before the scheduled inspection, along with the 24-hour reminder of the upcoming inspection. Thank you messages that are automatically sent via email right after a scheduled inspection are appropriate. Make sure your subject line represents the message of the email. Always begin an email with the person's first name, if you know it, such as Dear Mrs. Smith or Greetings from Inspector Joe. Keep your email messages short and to the point. Your client will likely not read long blocks of print. Be sure you proofread your email before clicking the send button. Read the message out loud to hear how it sounds. Keep e-lingo such as LOL or IMHO or smiley faces reserved for your friends, not your clients. Here are some simple email etiquette rules. Don't use all capital letters in an email unless you want to shout or be rude. Emotions do not transmit very well over email. Humor is particularly hard to communicate via email. Never use sarcasm in an email. Don't overreact to emails you receive. Be overly polite just in case. A complaint provides the opportunity to learn what your client really thinks about your service, giving you a chance to consider making changes to how you do things in your company. Complaints are more valuable than compliments. Welcome them. It provides you with an opportunity to learn. Clients who go through the trouble of complaining are usually interested in giving you the chance to make things right. The number one rule to receiving a complaint from a former client is to listen and always remain calm and composed. A person calling with a complaint may be insulting and rude, but you must be professional throughout. You must not react in the same manner or tone of voice, and try to diffuse the fuse. Assure the client that you will do what you can to help them. Have a pen and paper handy. Write down any notes that are critical to the conversation, such as dates, what happened, who discovered the problem, whether it's been corrected, etc. Use a template to log complaints systematically. Use the complaints as a learning tool for the entire company, including field inspectors and office staff. Listen to what the client says. The first couple sentences will tell you exactly what the problem is. Pay full attention to what's being said without interrupting them. Make sure you listen completely to the caller's account of the experience and situation. If the caller's upset, rambling and not make, not able to verbalize very well, then help or assist them by asking questions such as, and then tell me what happened after that, or could you tell me more about that, or what happened next, or how, how can I help you? What is it that you would like us to do? 
before proceeding to a resolution, make sure that you understand the situation. Ask questions to see if there's been a simple misunderstanding that can be easily resolved. If the complaint is more than just a misunderstanding, ask questions to generally understand the complaint and the problem your client is experiencing. Summarize what you understand the problem to be. The caller will acknowledge or correct you. Try, so what you're saying is, or do I understand you correctly, or did I miss the point? Express empathy with the caller. Let the caller know that you understand their situation and what they're going through. Tell them, again, that you will help them. If there is a solution, make sure that the client has no doubt as to its specifics and how the issue will be resolved. Ask the client to confirm that they agree with the proposed solution to their situation. How do you feel about the solution I've suggested? Or how does that sound to you? Or are you in agreement with that so far? If the caller wants to speak to the owner of the company, try the following. Well, Mrs. Smith please give me the opportunity to resolve this matter. I'm sure I'll be able to help you. But if you're still not satisfied, I'll personally get the owner on the phone with you. If the caller uses profanity, you might say, well, there's no reason to use profanity. Please continue without using those words. And then keep the caller informed. Tell the caller who has a complaint what you're going to do. Tell them that you are going to retrieve the inspection report and you'll pull the documents from the file and that you will notify the inspector by the end of the day. Inform them of your company's policy for handling complaints. It may include scheduling another inspection with the inspector. Do not accept or assign blame. Do not try to blame the caller while talking to them. Express empathy by letting the caller know you understand, that you understand the situation, their feelings, and what they must be going through. The goal is to work together. Avoid their filing a formal complaint and to come up with a resolution that is mutually agreeable. Should inspectors write their inspection observations in the past tense? Yes. It may help reduce your liability. Isn't the inspection report a document stating the condition of the property at the time of the inspection? Yes. Then why use the present tense? Some of our everyday reading and writing habits may infuse our report writing. For example, in newspapers, we almost always see the use of present tense as in, well, the governor says, and the prosecution states, even though these typically refer to past events. This lends immediacy to the story, especially for breaking news. But at the point that you sit down to write your inspection report, you have already completed your inspection. So you should use past tense in your report to record what you did, what you saw, and what you recommended based upon the inspection performed in the past. When explaining what you did in your inspection, use past tense. Whatever you did, opened, turned on, checked, saw, observed, found, discovered, thought, deduced, guessed, recommended, all happened at some specific definite time in the past. In other words, it is not still being done. Over the years, we've learned that what gets inspectors into trouble is the answer to the following question. What does the report say? Most times, the report says things such as, The roof is in good condition. The AC unit works. There are no water leaks. The sink drains. There are no foundational cracks. Notice, 
that all of these routine observations are written in the present tense. In court, however, there's a huge advantage for the inspector of having the plaintiff's attorney stuck quoting past tense statements from your report. When an inspector writes, the roof is in good condition, a client may interpret that as a warranty of some kind, but the attorney will only be able to quote what you wrote, which is written in past tense. The roof was in good condition. This helps your case and legal position immensely. We understand the disclaimer and agreement can state that the report documents the condition of the property on the day of the inspection, and inspectors should not neglect to include the disclaimer in all of their inspection reports regardless. But it's a stronger position to be in when someone reads your report that is written in the past tense. Consider writing your report observations in the past tense. It may help reduce your liability. Thank your clients using emails. Inform your clients about updates to your businesses, discounts, and new services. Let clients know of any changes that take place in your business or if you're introducing something new. Ask clients to sign up for your business newsletter, which might include some home maintenance tips and recommendations. Don't send a regular newsletter to your client if the content is useless to them. Make sure the newsletter contains information that's relevant and applicable to your clients' lives. Be proactive about contacting clients to check up on them. See if they're happy with your services. You have completed the training course called Sales, Customer Service, and Communication. Congratulations.